I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins. Wagner, Nick, what is up, my friend? Oh, not much, Josh. You know, it was really nice move to see uh, this week. A classy move by the Jaguars, fully guaranteeing the injured Dante Fowler's contract. That You know, it would have set a pretty bad precedent had they tried to lowball him since he got hurt in practice with the team. But nonetheless, it's really nice to see them, uh, them do that to him for him. How are you doing today? Uh, doing good. Still don't think Fowler's worth the money. No disrespect to his injury situation. Um, uh, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we got a lot to cover today. Dan is going to be joining us to uh, talk about the, the DFW Combine here in a few minutes. Um, if you didn't see the video of that, you must you must sit down and watch that. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since Dan has joined us. I'm, I'm assuming he was just taking some time for his his muscles to uh, recuperate from uh, such a feat since he was, I don't know, I guess we'll say maybe the winner. Maybe Jay would uh, dispute that. Maybe the winner of the combine. I don't know if there was an actual winner or if there was money being exchanged under the table. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll, get, we'll get all the info from Dan as we break that down. Uh, and then we will continue as uh, we're going to break down rookie running backs today at post-draft. Uh, Brad Duffenback is going to be joining us about an hour into the show to do that. Uh, we have a wide receiver dynasty dilemma for you this week as we do uh, Rashard Perryman versus Nelson Aguilar. Looking forward to that. And then, of course, we'll get to some dynasty trade analysis. There's questions from the forum. I don't know I had the extra S on analysis there, but uh, I did. Uh, joining a little bit early today. Sorry if you uh, caught you off guard there. Uh, I was frankly caught off guard by the uh, Sioux Falls School District and uh, the way they schedule things with uh, – not much time to uh, for parents to reschedule things, but we were able to do that. Had to get uh, Nick up an hour early today, so sounds like he's sounds like he's up in Chipper though. So yeah, taking you had your coffee there, Nick, right? I didn't have a chance for coffee today, but that's all right. We'll do it anyway. Wow, you are not a parent. Um, <laughs> coffee <laughs> essential essential food of life. But anyway, let's. let's uh, we want to talk to you a little bit about our DFW membership here, so uh, sit back and listen. DynastyFootballWarehouse.com is very excited to announce our Insider Membership. For just $29.99 per year, you get the Insider Membership plus our Rookie Draft Kit. Insider Membership itself is $24.99, just the Rookie Guide is $9.99. DFW is where Dynasty Football is a way of life. You can dominate your league for only $2 a month. Membership includes all access to Insider Articles, Dynasty, Redraft, Daily, IDP, which is over a 1,000 articles per year, up to three a day on average. Includes Dynasty Expert Rankings, updated monthly, average draft position data, 2015 projections, in-season weekly rankings and management, rookie draft room, and so, so much more. 24-7 access to DFW staff via email for roster management advice, Trades, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, commission assistance, advice for bylaws, scoring, and set up on new leagues on MLF. 
The 2015 Rookie Guide is $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the Insider Membership with the PDL emailed to you. Expanded in 2015 to include more players, the Top 10 IDP, all crisply summarized with keynotes on every player and their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, and key college stats. 143 skill position, 106 page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, plus 100 hours of research analyzed and boiled down for your NFL draft day enjoyment. Combines all recaps from skill positions at the combine, includes guide along updates after the NFL draft, adjustments made through training camp and preseason. All three membership options will get you entered into the multiple DFW contests and giveaways. Each will enter you into a, a raffle for a brand new iPod, which will be given away during halftime of Super Bowl 50 via third-party security raffle. You will get entry into DFW Week 1 Free Roll Tournament on FanDuel or DraftKings, where you, the winner will receive $200. You will also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest, where... Over the course of the 2015 season, the last team standing will also receive $200. Again, very excited to introduce the DFW Insider Membership, just $30 a year. promised before, like I said, been a couple weeks, so maybe just took a few weeks for his muscles to uh, recuperate, but here is Mr. Burgundy himself, Dynasty Dan Hines. <laughs> so, hey, thanks. There it is. Sorry about that. Go ahead, man. Oh, no, it's all good. I, I'm, I like, <laughs> I I like the camp music, too. Yeah, no, um, that was quite the intro, man. That was cool. Plenty of good reasons to get your DFW membership on, not to mention the uh, crazy good content we've been kicking out. Just unbelievable. Indeed, so. indeed. So have you recovered from... Oh, yeah, much? man. I mean, I, I definitely I definitely was sore from the weird motion of the tire throw. Um, but I, I took it, and, and from getting tossed by the tire, um, I mean, I, my my lower back was a little sore just because of the motion. But, I mean, I work out about five days a week. I do a lot of beach body programs, Insanity Asylum, stuff like that. And so I keep myself in pretty good shape in terms of just all-around usage and flexibility and stuff like that. I think the other two boys got it way worse than I did, but... I was definitely feeling it. I was definitely feeling it. I know they were feeling it. Um, but I'm back in it, man. I got my workout in yesterday, and I took a couple days off to stretch my back out a little bit. It was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Well, Nick, you got any questions for Dan? Any, any scouting reports? Yeah. What do you got for him? <laughs> that was definitely an entertaining video. Uh, you know, we hear uh, – uh, NFL draft prospects talking about how they, uh, the ones that don't get invited to the combine, how important their pro day is because they only get one shot at the, the workouts. Anybody uh, there feel unhappy with their workouts? They could have improved on such if they had a pro day? Um, 
I think all of us were pretty unhappy with our workouts. Um, <laughs> I think uh, we came to grips with it pretty quick. After um, I think we st- we started with the forty, we we're like, well, let's get this going right away. You know, full disclosure, that video was kind of after the fact. I really had no intention of putting like an actual production video together, and you can tell just by how crappy the filming actually was on this. It definitely inspired us to do better next year um, with the second annual DFW Combine. Yes, it's definitely going to be a thing for one more year at least. And uh, we've already had Josh say he's there. We've had Jay Stoltenberg say he's there. I've had a few other people say, oh, we're coming, you know. And uh, I say, why not? Let's do it. And uh, this time we'll put a little more into production value. Maybe we can even make ourselves look a little better. Um, get some good, get some flattering camera angles. And uh, <laughs> and not expose all of our weaknesses. But, uh, no, I don't think – I mean, I was pretty happy with my three-cone time, I guess, com- considering how the fact we weren't in spikes. It was basically like Heinz Field turf. And earlier that morning it had been raining pretty much all day. So by the time we got there, it wasn't like soaking wet, slipping all over the place, but there was just a little bit of damp. You know, so it was definitely not great conditions by any stretch of the imagination. Not that that would have like made some huge difference, but it definitely didn't hurt us. Hurt or definitely didn't help us that we were, you know, in tennis shoes and flipping around on two-inch long turf. You know, stuff like that. But uh, these guys were all trying to bail on the three-cone drill. And you know, if you watch the video, you can see you can see why that was a, <laughs> one of the last things we did. And the whole combine, they would make little pot shots about like trying to get out of it. Are we just skip the three cone? I'm like, hell no, man! This is the one I'm looking forward to. You know, I'm like, this is this is where the camera is gonna roll, and this is where we're gonna you know, see a broken era, torn ACL if we're going to see one. Not that that's what I wanted. I'm just saying it was going to get ugly. Uh, And, uh, yeah, so if you haven't checked out the video, you definitely, you can just Google or YouTube DFW Combine or you can see the article. It's a free article on DFW. You might have to scroll down a little bit because we're kicking out like five articles a day right now. But you you can Google or you can search for that on the site as well. And, uh, you know, but our first, our first, the first thought, the first time I knew I was actually going to have to, like, put all this camera footage together was, I think Jay was, Justin was the second or third person to run the 40. And that was the footage where it looks like his legs just stopped working after he passes uh, crosses the finish line and completely biffs it face first into the grass. And you could see the damage on the ego. Like, you could just see it. It was like the icebreaker, the tension, you know, was, okay, we officially have license to look like complete morons doing this. And, uh, and so there was some pretty strong hesitation on Jay's part at that time because at that point, he was the only one who looked like a complete idiot. But we found out very shortly after that that we all took turns. <laughs> and and with me capping it off with uh, 
the tire throw, which um, intros, you know, that uh, slow motion shot at the beginning of the video was actually shot in slow motion by our friend Nate, who's not on the video. He kind of wanted to stay out of it for the most part, but he must have just sensed something bad was going to happen because he was actually standing right behind me, fully intended to shoot that in slow-mo, expecting something very bad to happen, and of course it did. So. <laughs> well, I am, I am not a graceful per- person myself, so you'll definitely want multiple camera angles uh, next week, um, or next year, I should say. Yeah, we're not, this is going to be a yeah. weekly thing, no, that's for sure. Um uh, one comment I gotta have, and, and and by all means, do I do I uh, love and respect and fear Jay Myers? But what's he doing running the forty with the baseball hat on? I mean, don't, don't you think you know? he totally screwed up his aerodynamics? I mean, you had the right idea with the bandana. I mean, I I would need to. Do they had like they all had basketball shorts on too. They all had basketball shorts on. They all had shorts down to their knees. You know, like they were worried about looking bad or something. I don't know. I don't get <laughs> well, I mean, I mean either, you don't want, and you I don't I on that they were at the combine. <laughs> well, yeah, we we weren't going to go full commando on the thing, you know, or full <laughs> underwear, you know, sprinting in it. I mean, the thought did cross my mind that may have to like build up for, you know, combines when they start getting really serious, you know, then we'll go like the full spandex body suits and stuff like that and <laughs> cut down wind here. I think the biggest hurdle, the biggest hurdle for Jeff and Jay is the fact that they run literally like there's a board stuck up their ass and they're like, you can literally see no movement. There's no angle as they're running. There's no leaning forward or back or anything. They are a perfect, linear human being whose arms and legs are moving. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of there's plenty of wind resistance at that point. It was actually quite impressive because Jeff's arms were moving and working harder than his legs were. <laughs> he looked like he was milking the world's tallest cow who was also running with him. <laughs> <laughs> It was so much fun. It was so humbling. And it was so humbling. And I mean, the reality is, is none of us are really that out of shape. You know, I mean, we're a typical, you know, 35 year old guy that, you know, I mean, Jay keeps himself in good shape. I keep myself in good shape. You know, relatively speaking, of course, you know, we're definitely not athletes. We're not in competitive sports. We're not, it's not our job. It's not our career. It's if we're lucky, we get it in four or five days a week for a half hour here, 45 minutes there. And, you know, it just goes to show you, you know, what I took out of it and what I've learned, you know, over the years is just how ridiculous the combine can be when it comes to player values and attaching, you know, um, attaching like our thoughts and future projections to these numbers, you know, a four, five, five versus a four, four, five, you know, and the fact that there's no pads on that, there's no defenders, that there's no route stain run, that it's just, you know, we get so hung up on these things and then you go do it and and you do it like that and you're like, all right, well, 
I'm going as hard and as fast as I can. These guys are beating me by a minute, a second and a half in the 40. And, you know, I mean, not to say that a tenth doesn't matter. Certainly a tenth matters. But it's not the end-all, be-all of the world. You really got to watch these guys with pads on to see what they uh, they can do. You got to watch the tape. That's where it is. So, mm-hmm. Well, coincidentally, I did, speaking of tape, I did send – your tape to uh I'm not even sure how I got it, but I sent your tape to Mike Mayock. I got I got your forty this is what he said about your forty Dan. Hold on, hold on. Number right there. He just made a statement about I wanna be the number one corner in this draft. <laughs> and there you go. Yeah, but, okay. I didn't want it that bad. That was that was land. I just thought why not? Um, but anyway, uh, well, and you you said a tenth of a second is important. Again, Jay with the baseball hat, um, you know, you only I think yours was, what was your time four seven three, and he was four seven five. I I, I don't know. That was we're it. Talking photo finish of that. If he's I know that. I, yeah, I, we're talking. All, all he has around. to do all he has to do is lean forward ten degrees. That's literally <laughs> all he had to do. I mean, that's what I didn't understand. I'm like, you guys could have cut a tenth of your, you know, uh, off your time if you just would have leaned forward and ran forward instead of completely straight up. <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick, any more questions, thoughts, praises? Well, I was just wondering what the uh, reasons were behind having the tire throw be the strength uh, drill and if that's going to be the strength drill moving forward. Uh, we'll probably modify it. Um, the idea for the tire throw was twofold, Nick. It was a, in my neighbor's yard and accessible and B, it could be used for the accuracy contest as well. And so I was looking for, I was looking for something simple, you know, I didn't want to try to round up a bench press and, you know, weights and things like that. I mean, maybe next year, if we plan a little more ahead, we'll do a few more strength things. Um, like that, but uh, the reason we did it was Nate, you know, Nate's a CrossFit guy. He actually did really well. I ultimately won the combine overall, if you can call it that. Um, He finished first in the 40, finished first in, we didn't list his results um, because he didn't want them listed, but uh, I think he he finished first in like two or three uh, events as well. Um, so he did really good for a big guy, you know, I mean, he's six foot two twenty five, but he's a CrossFit guy. So he keeps himself in good shape as well Has good explosion. I mean, he destroyed everybody in the tire throw, which we expected, but that was him, you know, when he decided, when he realized he was going to be in this thing that he's like, well, I need something that favors my strengths a little bit here. And I was like, all right, what can I come up with that won't be too hard to lug around and too hard to organize. And then I was like, ah, that'll work. So, so what was the, um, the broad jump? There was no video of the broad jump. Was that, uh, there wasn't. And that would have been a good one to videotape as would have uh, in retrospect. I wish we would have videotaped them all, Josh, honest to God, because the vertical was freaking hilarious. It was hilarious. Like, we had no idea how to do the vert. Like, how are we going to do this, right? So we we you rely a max. Inspiration? Yeah, right. Chris, I can walk under him when he jumps. 
Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, we were, so I brought sidewalk chalk because I figured, you know, it'll have multi-uses, like for maybe marking verticals, marking broad jumps, uh, a line for where we're throwing and things like that. And it, it came in useful. So what we ended up doing was going to the backstop of a baseball area, this fenced area, and it was all black mesh wire fencing and the posts. And so we were like, okay, so this is what we'll do. We'll raise our arm up as far as we can, and we'll mark where that is. And since there was really no good technical laser-guided way or, you know, fancy, you know, vertical equipment to test this, since I'm the little spider monkey of the group, I literally crawled up the fence and I'm hanging off the fence with one arm with a marker in my other arm. And I'm watching these guys give everything they can to get 19 inches off the ground. Right. And, <laughs> and, and I wish, I wish that we had video of that spectacle cause that was hilarious. And then watching Jay climb up there for me, was pretty funny too. Um, and then uh, uh, the broad jump, um, actually, we, that was our only real scare, at least initially. Um, it was really funny um, to watch people first try it. Uh, I had been doing <laughs> Insanity Asylum, so you actually work with an agility ladder and you actually do broad jumps. So I was familiar with the motion, and it is pretty awkward if you've never done it. Like you can go out and just try it in your yard. Basically, it's standing broad jump, and you're, you know, as much power and distance and thrust as you can, but you have to stick it, right? And you can't fall forward, and you can't fall backwards, and you still got to be able to get your feet underneath you to land. And there was more than one almost wipeout. Jay decided to make it kind of a high jump on his first one, so he got really awkward and came down and kind of tweaked his knee a little bit. He ended up being fine, thankfully. But uh, but that's really um, – but everybody got better with that one. That was, uh, that was uh, the thing to take away from that is every jump got better and better as they got more comfortable with the actual motion of it, which, again, goes to show you why these guys train for two months after the season for the combine specifically. I mean, they have trainers. I know when I interviewed Zach Stacy, he was down in, I forget where he was, I think Atlanta, Georgia, specifically training for events all day long at the Combine, you know. And so it's, that's, again, why you don't read into this. You know, how much is preparation? How much is natural ability? And then you have to factor in the fact that, yes, all of these athletic skills in some way, shape, or form will be on display on the football field, but never like this, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to sit here and focus on jumping as high as I can. I'm going to be running full speed and I'm going to jump up and try to grab that thing out of the air. And that's a whole different ball game compared to just standing and jumping straight up. So. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know if my, my agent wants me to do that broad jump. We'll have to discuss that next year. That might be the one I have to pull out of. But I know, I know, it might be mandatory. We'll figure it out. <laughs> um, I am not a graceful person. So, yeah, like I said, camera definitely rolling for me. Um, but anyway, that's uh, uh, any any other thoughts, any other things that you wish you uh, could have done that didn't? Or? 
No, but I have been inspired to do, uh, my wife and I have actually a wellness company called Total Fit Nut, um, and we actually help people um, balance out their nutrition and stress and physicality and and uh, just overall health, basically. It's just something we do on the side. It's not something we really make money on or anything like that. It's just something we like to do, help people get healthy um, and kind of help them define what those goals are. And so every once in a while we'll do a video or a post or have some sort of inspirational message for people. And and, um, and one of the things I told Sarah was I was inspired to do is kind of a domesticated 40, you know, or a domesticated combine. And so some of my ideas were like, you know, like 10 minutes before you have company and your house is a complete disaster. That would be like the equivalent of like a three-cone drill, right? And just in like super fast motion, sprinting around the house, throwing shit wherever it'll go under rugs and in the, you know, and then having the guests show up and be like, oh, you have such a lovely house, you know? Um, or, <laughs> or like darting down the road after a bus with uh, my kid's lunchbox, you know, that he forgot at home for the 19th time. Like there's, there's the 40 yard dash, you know, I could just tell the bus driver, Hey, I'm going to chase you today, but don't stop. <laughs> you know? So I've, I actually got inspired to do something fun like that for maybe total fit. Not if somebody doesn't beat me to it, but it's kind of fun coming up with, events like that but i think sky's the limits i think you could get really fun i think you could do even fantasy football based events like do like speed lineup submissions and things you know, how fast can you set your lineup um how fast you know just things like that i don't know there's there's so many fun things we could do and of course any ideas are welcome so we may even get a post out there uh or i uh little message board going a couple months before next year and let people say what they would want to see. So one of one of my favorite things with the combine is when they do the when they have the receivers do that they line up in midfield and they catch catch the balls like you know they turn one way and then turn flip completely around and catch the ball that way and catch the ball that way. Oh, like the uh, catch radius type drill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. Thing or yeah. <laughs> we but could probably get, I don't know if we could get a, yeah, and I don't know if you have a, you either have to throw it, so you'd either have to have like a circle of throwers or you'd have to have, you know, a couple of those automated football things. But, you know, you could do something even like tennis balls or something equivalent, you know, wouldn't have to be yeah. exact. But, yeah, for sure, that's a good one. Sounds that could get funny too with hello. tennis balls because then you could just then you could just pummel the guy, you know. You could just you could just zip him at him. That would be funny. Cool. All right. I think Dan. that's well, where Melvis said would stand out. I think yeah. that's where Melvis said would stand out. I think that's where you'd recognize like his true white Devin Funchess ninja warrior skills, and he'd probably just be like plucking them Bruce Lee style out of the air. That's my prediction. Oh, all right, cool. I guess we'll I guess we'll see you next year, and uh, we'll see what how how over 
overreactive we can all be to that. So it should be fun. Uh, <laughs> thank you, as always, for joining us, Dan. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And like I said, if you didn't watch the video, you need to. Uh, make sure you watch it on the laptop or computer, too, so you can get the full uh, the full gist with the uh, captioning as well. The captions, so, uh, yeah. Dan, yep. thank you so much for joining us, and have a great day, sir. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good one. Take care. Okay, next let's get to some dynasty trade analysis. Um uh first off and foremost, I um whole bunch of picks here for Carlos Hyde. Uh bear with me here. Two point three six, two four point zero four, four point zero four point two three and a two thousand sixteen second round pick, two thousand 16 third round pick and a 2016 fourth round pick for Carlos Hyde. Uh, that seems like a lot of picks. I know they're not. There's not even a first in there, but doesn't that seem like a lot of picks to you? Yeah, it is. I mean, the, the guy that picked up Carlos Hyde must be just go, going all in for a championship this year. That's my guess. And if so, you know, good. If you need a running back, then. Way to pull the trigger and be gutsy. Uh, I personally wouldn't give up that many picks for a player, but so obviously uh, I think the guy that gave up Carlos Hyde is probably the winner in this. There's a lot of ammunition there to restock their team. Yeah, and maybe a guy that gave up Carlos Hyde was the worst team in the league. I, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it's not. A, yeah, I like I said, there is no first in there, but uh, you know these are IDP leagues, so you're definitely going to get some defensive help with a lot with some of those third and fourth round picks. Um, sorry, actually, there wasn't a third round. Maybe there was. I don't know. But anyway, that's that's a lot of picks uh, for Carlos Hyde. I don't know. I feel like that would be more worth it when we're talking about a guy like Eddie Lacy or LaShawn McCoy, but there would definitely need to be, you know, probably like a higher pick involved in there. But with that many picks, I, uh, I don't know. We're talking about a guy that didn't even have 500 yards rushing last year and a guy on a team that brought in, you know, Two rookie, or excuse me, two free agent running backs in the offseason and drafted another running back. So it's not like, obviously, Carlos Hyde's going to get the first chance, but it's not like he is certainly the uh, the clear cut number one there at this point, especially with also a running back that runs the football. So, um, excuse me, a quarterback that runs the football. Um, moving on, uh, stay on DFW 48 here. Um, pick 1.07. And a 2016 first-round pick for pick 1.04. Obviously, we've been very vocal about this being a uh, four-horse race here when the rookie. So that just and just so you know, pick 1.04 in DFW 48 is actually 1.1 1. 1 in that in that league. So there's four separate drafts because there's four copies of each player in that league. So 1.07. And a 2016 first-round pick for basically the first overall pick. Well, so 1.04 being the number one overall pick, that would mean 1.07 is the number two pick, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, then I, I can't give up an extra first-round pick just to move up to one slot from number two to number one. You know, we've talked about it so many times this draft. Uh, the rookie draft has your top four are pretty much interchangeable, so why would you give up a first-round pick just to – just to move up one. I, I personally wouldn't do it, but the the guy that did, the person that did must just be really high on their number one guy above the uh, remaining three. Uh, Todd Gurley, I guess. 
I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody would do it for anybody else, any of the top four. So I got that's that's my thinking there. Um, it is, yeah. I guess it is just one slot. I don't have that one gra- grafted out like I have DFW thirty six, but it is just uh, one slot. So uh, yeah, it is one slot in a in a different draft, but still. So yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. It seems a lot to give up a first-round pick next year because you have no idea how good that's going to be. But honestly, you know, if this this team that gave up that pick, it feels like you know that player they want to take first overall gets them in, you know, into the championship or into the playoffs. Uh, that that first-round pick next year is not going to be a very high pick. So, um, I swear that we've done this before, Nick. Maybe you can back me up. But Devontae Parker. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, Devontae Adams for Giovanni Bernard. We've done this before, uh, yes. right? Yes, we did this yeah. last week. Okay. All right. Um, yet again, another Devontae Adams. Uh, do you feel any more different about this now that now that now that you've had some time to think about it again? Oh <laughs> uh, no, I feel the same as I did last week. Pretty even trade on both sides. Uh, um. There is a gentleman um, uh, named Matt Harmon that does this thing called Perception Reception out on Twitter. I heard him on the Fake Pigskin podcast uh, last week. Who we basically route, you know, he he charts wide receivers and how how well they do getting open, how well they do, you know, with with catching the ball in certain spots and whatnot. And he is a little down on Devontae Adams. So uh, I'll just I'll just put that out there. Obviously, people think he definitely has a nice future there in uh, Green Bay, and who knows what you're going to get with the timeshare there in Cincinnati. But uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out Matt Perception Reception, it's certainly a good read as he breaks down wide receivers. Um, okay, let's move on to our dynasty dilemma. Each each week we try to do this where we pit uh, two players against each other. Obviously, with our Rookie impact series going on. Um, we are definitely uh, definitely going to be hitting rookies here for the next probably month or so, or maybe even longer. So uh, let's uh, play the music and get ready as we pit Brashard Perryman versus Nelson Aguilar. <laughs> had the option to go first, right? I chose Perryman first, right, Nick? <laughs> I, chose I don't Perryman. remember. Therefore, I, okay, <laughs> therefore, I will go first. Um, and if you're ever wanting to suggest a dynasty dilemma for us, uh, please do. We're all about it. And uh, I really want to find a really, really good one where it's two, diff- two players at a different position. So I'll throw that out there for you. Maybe even even if it's an IDP, you know, like a linebacker versus a strong safety, we'll do it. I already got things flowing in my head right now from that. So uh, maybe we'll have a good IDP one next week. Anyway, I chose Brashard Perryman over Nelson Aguilar for this dynasty dilemma. Uh, and if you want to vote on this dynasty dilemma, you are certainly uh, welcome to. Just go to dynastyfootballwarehouse.com and uh, – 
and vote. Uh, it's been up for a couple of days, and Nelson Aguilar is already in the lead. So, but before you go there and vote for the vote this time around, make sure you listen to what we have to say and vote with your uh, your head, not your heart. Um, anyway, no disrespect to former USC Trojan Aguilar, but who exactly is his quarterback in Philadelphia? We, you know, we don't know. There's four quarterbacks there right now. We can say Sam Bradford. I mean, I guess he can say that, but. Uh, who is going to be his quarterback week four when Sam Bradford's on lost for the season on IR? Uh, I did have that initially written at week three, but uh, I changed it to week four. I'll give Sam Bradford a little bit of respect, maybe just because I own him on Dynasty team. But we all know his uh, brittle past, and we also know that he's been a very effective quarterback. So uh, I could be totally wrong there. But I, I, I worry about that situation. We all know that Chip Kelly does not have the quarterback situation exactly where he wants it right now. So I think uh, I think that that that's why I basically chose Perryman over Aguilar in this argument. Aguilar is a great receiver and he'll be a very nice NFL player no matter who his quarterback is. But how I just think Perryman is the safer pick. Uh, he has a Super Bowl winning quarterback entrenched in Joe Flacco as the starter and an underrated running game that'll help him stay in single coverage. In addition, fellow rookie weapons Max Williams and Darren Waller and also Buck Allen will help. Help as well. Also, new offensive coordinator uh, Mark Tresman certainly intrigues a lot of people there in Baltimore, and I think that's going to help keep Perryman successful in key spots. It may take a season or so, like Alshon Jeffrey did in Chicago, but I think Perryman has elite speed and the perfect frame to make very big plays, a lot of them at the NFL level. Uh, many believe the drops he displayed in college where it will be a continuous issue. I think Joe Flacco's ball placement will certainly help that, and Steve Smith being there to teach him a thing or two about ball control and concentration is going to help immensely as well. Again, the size-speed mix is a rare combo. Even though Perryman isn't, isn't as polished as Amari Cooper, I believe wearing a Ravens jersey, his ceiling rivals that of Kevin White. I think Perryman can – annually produced numbers like Michael Floyd did in 2013 with the 65 receptions for over 1,000 yards. Nick, what do you got for us on Nelson Aguilar? Well, you know, even if you hadn't picked Perriman, I still would have picked uh, Aguilar, and that might be a little surprising because I admit I'm prone to falling for the side, size and speed ratio and high upside players. So usually a guy like Rashad Perriman at 6'2", 212, running a 4'2", that's my guy usually. But you know what? Contrary to what my ex-girlfriends might say, I don't think I'm the smartest guy on earth. So, you know, most decision-makers in the NFL probably know more than I so why does a guy with those type of measurables fall to the mid-20s the way uh, Perriman did? Uh, because he's the opposite of Aguilar on the field. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is only six foot, 198, not as fast, but he's so polished. He runs crisp routes, far better hands than Perryman. And his situation, above all, I, I disagree with you. I think his situation is way more favorable. He's stepping into Jeremy Macklin's role. As a rookie, he probably won't get the 143 targets like Macklin did last year when Macklin had 85 catches for 1,300 yards and 10 scores. But he could easily hit that in year two or three if he stays healthy. You know, I think Jordan Matthews here that he had last year, 67 catches, 870 yards, and eight touchdowns. I think that's a good bet for Aguilar's numbers this year. You know, you remember all those tall, fast wide receivers who went in the early rounds and are backups now at Darius Hayward Bay or out of the league? 
you know, you probably don't remember them unless your team drafted them, but there's a whole lot of them. Rod Gardner would be the Skins example. Now, yes, Fairman is going into uh, Torrey Smith's old role, but that's not what it's cracked up to be. Torrey Smith only had one year over 900 yards. He never even had 67 catches in a season like Jordan Matthews did last year as a rookie. So, you know, given the choice, I'll take the guy in the in Chip Kelly's offense, unless the quarterback's Tim Tebow, but I don't expect that to happen. Even Mark Sanchez played decent last year. Isn't it funny how I'll rebut here in a second, but isn't it funny how people were ready just to, you know, have Mark Sanchez's head taken off in New York, and now everybody's like, well, you know, he's he's a pretty good option there, you know, when Bradford gets hurt, you know, he, yeah, yeah, I'd feel comfortable with him running that offense. Uh, you know, I just I don't. <laughs> um, you make some very good points there. Um, step, stepping into the Macklin role, yes, and and I do agree with you on certainly the effort involved. I I, I just think the the Baltimore organization and the way they do things, you know, minus uh, some other things that happened last year uh, with one of their running backs. But uh, the way that the way they do things is is certainly going to benefit Perryman, and I think he's going to benefit from that from just being that around that team. And I think when you're putting two receivers against each other, obviously receivers are, no matter how good they are, they're going to be beholden a little bit to the quarterback play. And I just, I just trust Flacco a little bit more than any other quarterback on that Philadelphia roster. Um, so that's just, well, I guess we'll leave it at that. Uh, like I said, go to dynastyfootballwarehouse.com and vote on that dynasty dilemma. Um, the process of trading, Nick, obviously it's different in redrafts and uh, dynasty formats, but uh, I just want to kind of talk about the do's and don'ts. Now, no, whether, what, no matter what format it is, and actually no matter what fantasy sport it is, kind of one of my philosophies is don't, you know, don't, Count your money when you're sitting at the table. I don't mean to quote Kenny Rogers, but when I send an offer to somebody, it's and, and maybe I'm saying too much here, but that's why we do this podcast. So we give you all the inside information that we can give. But when I send somebody a trade offer, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, I necessarily don't expect them to accept it, but I'm not going to send them the best offer of players that I'm willing to part with, especially sometimes I don't even know, you know, that they want a player, but it's, sometimes it's just, Hey, you know, what, what about this for, you know, your player? And I don't necessarily, like I said, expect them to accept it, but if they're interested, I expect, you know, maybe a counter. And then if I'm asking for, for too much, you know, maybe they can in turn ask me for too much. And then I'm like, okay, I get, I get where it comes from, but I just like to send a little, not nothing terrible, but just something that opens their eyes and says, "Hey, I'm interested in this player. Would you consider moving him to you know for for this, or do you want more?" And maybe I should write something like that in the comments when I do that. But I consider it a process. I don't think very rarely I just somebody send a trade offer in any fantasy sport, and the person's like, "Oh, yeah, sure, I'll take that." Don't don't you agree there, Nick? Yeah, I agree. As long as you're not, like, spamming people with trade offers. You know, say he or she rejected uh, Andrew Luck for Calvin Johnson in a first, so I'll offer him Calvin Johnson a first and a sixth. You know, as long as you're not doing just, you know, spamming like that. then Yeah, I definitely I, I would do the same thing. You, you know, you don't want to offer your best offer right out on the table. Same thing, you know, if you're buying a used car, I guess. Yeah, you got to have yeah, it a little bit. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
you got to haggle. That's I think you put it better than I did there. So anyway, yeah, I consider it a process. Is there anything that when somebody sends you a trade offer or that you're when you're sending the trade offer that you just you will not do? Um. Well, one thing that's really always angered me is people that just veto trades in leagues that allow uh, vetoes just because they disagree or thought they maybe would have got given a better deal. You know, in my opinion, vetoes should only be used in clear-cut cases of collusion. Anything else, you just kind of look petty, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree there too. You know, sometimes you just don't like do it because you don't like one of the owners or you think they're they're getting a better end of the deal. But you know, player player value is very. Uh, very in the eye of the beholder, very, very perceptive to uh, opinion. So, uh, um, so I guess we covered the don'ts. Is there any? Is there any the? You know, one thing I've noticed, especially as opposed to fantasy football as opposed to fantasy baseball, or actually any other fantasy sport, I feel like there's a lot less trading in football. Nick, now I don't 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 know if you play any other fantasy sports. I don't think you do, but have you, do you, I mean, is there any leagues that you're in where there's just, besides obviously Dynasty, I think there's a lot more trades in Dynasty as opposed to Redraft, but you know, I, I the Redraft league that I've been in for almost 10 years now, you know, there's maybe one or two trades a year, and I, geez, I don't think we actually had one last year at all. Um, is there any leagues that just kind of get flooded there, obviously, with with the dynasty format, you know, us being able to trade picks and picks that picks ahead in years, there's going to be a lot more trading. But redraft, I don't see a lot of trades. You need any redraft leagues where you see a lot of trades? Um, you know, maybe like between five and ten minor trades a year, but nothing, nothing like a dynasty league though. Yeah, and one thing I don't think I will do, and I just want to put this out there to everybody in DFW 36 and uh, DFW Cronies Next Level, my two dynasty leagues that I'm in right now, I I made a lot of trades in DFW 36 prior to the draft, and I don't know if I want to do that again, because after the draft, I was just like, ugh, my team was just seemed like they're in shambles. I tried to just... Uh, set my potential lineup for week one here before we start drafting in that league next week. And I am just like, Oh, I can't believe I'm putting these guys in my lineup. You know, we're supposed to start three to five wide receivers. And my, my, my fourth wide receiver was Taylor Gabriel, who's probably the fourth wide receiver in Cleveland right now. And I'm just like, Oh, this is not, this is not at all what I envisioned. So it's, it's a weird thing, you know, I know a lot of dynasty owners are all about it. They want to get, uh, they want to get picks or they want to get, whatnot, but uh, trading before the actual NFL draft is not recommended in my book. I know some people think well, I'm going to trade as soon as I can, whatnot, but I, I don't know. It, it's it's a it's a very sharp double-edged sword to use an overused cliche, don't you think, Nick? Yeah, yeah, I definitely uh, I agree with you. It's it's pretty tough for me to pull off trades before the NFL draft and before you know landing spots and things like that. Uh, one thing that, that definitely is a trading do is uh, at the end of the or the beginning of the off season, evaluate your roster and you know have a strategy going in and stick to it. You know if you really don't think your team your roster can contend for two or three years, then make sure you're loading up on current and future draft picks. Don't be mortgaging the future for guys that are going to help you win six games instead of four games this year, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and like the the whole thing, like I said, I had to use Taylor Gabriel. My 
I did that. I sent that trade. I traded a fourth round pick for him. Um, because Josh Gordon got suspended again, and they had no other receivers on that roster besides him and him and uh, Travis Benjamin. And Gabriel actually had a fairly decent rookie season there. I think he was an undrafted free agent there for Cleveland. And I thought, well, geez, you know, he can certainly expound on that. But obviously Cleveland didn't feel the same way, and now he's buried on the depth chart, and they drafted another wide receiver. So uh, I'm not, uh, not totally giving up on him, but I thought it was making kind of a uh, smart – a smart under the radar move, and uh, that's uh, you know that's just a, a nice example of how that works. If I was getting a nice young receiver that was going to potentially be very good in a couple of years, and uh, he might you know he might not see a lot of playing time here the next couple of years, so these guys aren't necessarily beholden to those undrafted free agents that they that they get something out of it. Anything they get out of them is is certainly a, a nice reward, but they have no problems cutting ties or burying them on the death chart. As I've uh, come to learn. <laughs> um, uh, Brad Duffin's back is going to be joining us here in about 15 minutes to talk top 10 rookie running backs, kind of a rookie impact report after after the draft here for your Dynasty Leagues. But uh, let's get to a little something that we like to call Nick Rants. It's where I give my co-host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him. Uh, we do this most weeks, and it's, it's certainly one of my favorite moments of the week. So, well, like I said, it's called Nick Rants. He's going to, he's going to, this is his time to shine. He rocks his back with this Nick Rant. So you and I all know how patriotic the NFL is. How, how could we not with all the pregame ceremonies, the full field-sized flags, and everything else the NFL does to honor the troops with patriotic displays? And, of course, part of it's a, it's a PR move. But as someone whose brother did two tours in Iraq with the Marines, I always thought that PR and move or not, it was nice that the NFL spent the money to show appreciation for those fighting overseas. However, uh, the reporters at Pro Football Talk and NewJersey.com revealed recently that the NFL wasn't actually footing the bill for many of those ceremonies. So where did the money come from? The National Guard and the U.S. Department of Defense. In other words, the taxpayers doled out over $5 million to 14 NFL teams. So basically these honor the troops ceremonies are just advertisements disguised as something else. So the NFL gets money and goodwill from the public who thinks the teams are paying for these ceremonies. Now, you know, with the election right around the uh, election season right around the corner, get ready to hear the term wasteful spending repeated until your ears bleed. But I can't think of a better example. You know, to me, it's disgraceful that teams would accept this money in such a deliberate ruse on the viewing public. Uh, New Jersey State Senator Joe, Joe uh, Pen- Panaccio, I believe it's pronounced, summed it up well when he said that for-profit patriotism is a slap in the face to the men and women in military, and he called for the teams to donate all the money acquired to charities benefiting the veterans. I couldn't agree more. And just for the record, the 14 teams are Atlanta, Baltimore, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Dallas, Green Bay, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Miami, Minnesota, the Jets, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis. So, you know, hey, Josh, at least your Raiders and my uh, scamming the taxpayers in this fashion, right? <laughs> I'm a little surprised by Kansas City. I do, I do think that's a quality organization. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting story that maybe f- fell through the cracks. Uh, wasn't uh, maybe wasn't inflated enough, so we say. Uh, but uh, yeah, certainly, it certainly makes some good points there, and it does seem stupid that they would take that money. When we, we, they certainly take other other taxpayer monies to build stadiums in a lot of these cities. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Wasteful spending, indeed. I guess we'll say we'll finish that up with that. Um, let's move on to some questions from the forum. Um, I need a running back, and the team wa- and the team wants to trade Lynch. My best running back is Spiller. Ooh, for that I am sorry. Uh, here, my wide right receivers are Cobb, Jeffrey, um, Allen, Matthews, Moncrief, and uh, Ben Calvin Benjamin. I'm assuming that's Keenan Allen. So I can afford to part with one. Yeah, he certainly has a lot of young wide receivers there. I was thinking of offering Allen second second year. I I have three seconds. Second this year, I have three seconds, and a third this year, I have two thirds and a fourth. So it would be so I would give up Allen a second, a third, a fourth for Lynch. What are your opinions there? It seems like a lot to give up for Marshall. Maybe yeah, potentially only as one more year. Go ahead. Yeah, that's too much for me to give up for Lynch. You know, I realize you're desperate for a running back, but, you know, you got to realize, too, Marshawn Lynch probably only has one, maybe two years tops left in the tank, and I wouldn't be surprised if we started seeing a decline in production just due to his physical running style. You would think he would wear out quicker than uh, other backs, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, You know, especially if you want to strip it down, would you give up – I mean – would anybody give up three picks for any running back over 28 years old? I think that I don't, I don't even care who it is. You just, you just know that that window is closing. If they've, they've been lucky enough to get probably five, maybe six years in the NFL. Obviously they've been lucky enough to sustain that and probably have some pretty good production, but what's going to happen after that? We know we know the downfalls. Obviously, there are some special cases. I think Marshawn has certainly overachieved to what a lot of people thought, especially since he had some character concerns coming out. You know, Adrian Peterson, obviously, there's another issue with him there, too. But he's been a very productive player, even with, even with the knee injury in his past. Frank Gore is another guy that's been a very, very productive player and, you know, broke his leg one year and still had 900 yards, you know, before that. So, But those guys, there's – there's, you know, for those three guys I just listed, there's probably 50 running backs had a lot of potential that just, you know, only lasted a couple of years in this league. You know, Chris Chris Johnson certainly had, you know, that two or three year window with with you know those speed backs. That's certainly going to happen. And you know, he doesn't even have a team right now. So, and certainly was involved in a timeshare his last couple last couple of seasons. So it, it's it's a it's a hard call even just to look at the age of the running back. I think that that is a major thing. Now, would I give up three picks like that for Eddie Lacy? I think I probably would. I mean, even though he's entering his third year in the league, I certainly think he just has a lot better prospects. And he's shown, even though he's had the con- concussion issues, to bounce back from injuries quite well and uh, and be a solid, solid player. So uh, IDP value, no. I, I want to preface this question. By telling you know we'll, we'll certainly touch on this here a little bit, but there we're going to have an IDP show, and we've got at least Sean Kirby, Mister, excuse me, Doctor Kirby, joining us for a couple minutes on that, and that's going to be May 27th. So next week we're going to do quarterbacks and tight ends, and talk a little offensive line impact. But uh, we're going to have a whole IDP impact show coming up on May 27th. We're going to get on the defense and looking very much forward to that. 
Uh, we'll have at least Sean, maybe Bruce coming on for that. So we're going to get all the IDC information to you in one in one show. So make sure you check that out. Uh, but this question here, just curious of what IDP rookies that will make an impact this year. My league tends to draft 90% offense in our rookie league. So I think I could, thought I could get a head start here. Give me your list of top five IDP rookies this year. Nick, do you have your list ready? Uh, yeah, I got a top five anyway, and you know, it all depends on scoring. You know, uh, IDP league, some score has sacks very heavily. So in leagues like that, you'd want to look at guys like Vic Beasley or Randy Gregory. But in standard IDP leagues where you're looking at more tackle numbers than sacks, I'd say one through five is probably uh, Eric Kendricks, the linebacker in Minnesota, uh, Stephon Anthony, the linebacker in New Orleans, who actually went ahead of Kendricks in the draft. That was a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, one more uh linebacker Bernard uh, McKinney in Houston. Brian Cushing can't seem to stay healthy, so he could have a chance to make an impact this year. Uh, if you need somebody in the secondary, Landon Collins is, uh, to me, far and away the number one IDP uh, defensive back. And then Leonard Williams along the defensive line uh, there for the Jets, probably to the top defensive lineman as of right now. I also really like uh, Shaq Thompson, though, in Carolina. I'm not sure if he's going to be play linebacker or safety, but really good player. Yeah, I think Shaq stands to make a lot of tackles. I didn't have my top five, um, but uh, that but I'll, I'll, I will give them to you. Right now, I'm going to go with number one, like you, Eric Kendricks. Um, I think Minnesota got a steal on him where they got him in the draft, and he's going to make a whole lot of tackles and probably make uh, uh, maybe Chad Greenway obsolete in that in that team. Um, but uh, I lo- love the situation he steps in there too. Well, Stephon Anthony is the guy that certainly raised his raised the bar a whole lot since uh, getting drafted by the Saints. You know, that Curtis Lofton made a bunch of tackles in that in that role, and I think the athleticism and lateral abilities to do that as well. Uh, number three, I have Landon Collins. I just, he he's going to be an in the box strong safety. I just wrote an extended rookie impact report on him. It's going to be out probably next week. Um, Got a Devontae Parker one coming up for you guys, too. But uh, that'll probably end of this week. But anyway, I didn't promote myself. Landon Collins, in the box, strong safety. He's going to be playing probably on the same side of the field as Jason Pierre-Paul. It's also going to be, you know, like a possibly a linebacker in nickel and dime packages. Uh, the guy loves to stop the run. And, uh, you know, I make the point in my article, you know, people say his pass coverage skills are not the greatest. But uh, unless, you're, unless you're getting docked for receptions, <laughs> Uh, made by your guy that's covering him or whatever, which I don't think is actually a possibility. You know, if Collins gives up an interception, chances are he's going to make the, tw- the tackle shortly thereafter. So that's only going to help your IDP stats. Um, but this guy, you know, stepping into Antron role, uh, role, Antron rolls role in New York, who made, you know, 87 tackles last year at the strong safety position. And I think Collins certainly has the ability to do that as a rookie and for a very long time there. In Gotham, shall we say. Uh, Paul Dawson, Sean Kirby will just shake his head when he hears me say that, but I still think he has the ability to make a lot of tackles, uh, even if he's playing weak side linebacker on this team. Uh, just, I think he people are going to be blown away by the stamina and the, how long he's going to continue to make plays in the games. I just, I really believe in this guy. I know people have a lot of a lot of check marks against him, but I just think he's he's stepping into a decent defense too, and a defense that's going to allow him to make a lot of tackles. Um, and number five, you know, if if you want to throw a sexy sack guy in there, let's do it. I'm going to throw Vic Beasley in there. I think if any rookie is going to get 
10 to 12 sacks this year. I think it's going to be him in Atlanta. I know that defense has a lot of other things to other question marks, that other players that need to step up. But I think he is a, certainly a special player off of the edge, and I really like him. I, and then just just throw out there one more name. I really like Eli, excuse me, Eli Harold in San Francisco uh, at the defensive end position. He's going to be listed on MLF as a defensive end, and I think he's going to make a lot of sacks and a lot of tackles, probably a lot more tackles than most defensive ends because he's probably playing a little outside linebacker in that kind of little stand-up defensive end role there in San Francisco opposite uh, – Eric Armstead, who I also like. But I, if I had to choose one of those guys, I'd certainly choose Eli Harold there in San Francisco. Um, Brad's going to be joining us here in just a few minutes. We have one more question to get to here. Okay, 10-team league. This is our first rookie draft, and I don't want to screw it up. Uh, I know how you feel. I was offered uh, 1.07 Mike Wallace and Jarek McKinnon for Carlos Hyde and 2.08. Fair enough. This is my team below. Uh, Rogers and Matt Ryan, Mark, uh, Alfred Morris, Mark Ingram, Carlos Hyde, Ronnie Hillman, Reggie Bush, Antoine Smith, Darren Sproles, uh, Niall Davis, Ryan Turbin, uh, Robert Turbin. Who is the Hill running back? Why can't I think of which, which Hill running back that is, Nick? My guess would be Jeremy Hill in Cincinnati. Jeremy Hill. Oh, yes, of course. I should know that as a dynasty owner. It just a little bit clicking with me. Okay, wide receivers, A.J. Green, Demarius Thomas, uh, Jarvis Landry, Devonta Adams, Terrence Williams, John Brown, and Carl Darrell Patterson. Certainly certainly some talent there in the wide receiver position. Uh, Julius Thomas, um, Ladarius Green, and Vernon Davis are his tight ends. Um and he also has pick 1.03 and pick 2.08. Uh, what, what are your thoughts there after that long explanation? Um, the offer was yeah, uh, 1.07. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, 1.07, Mike Wallace and Jared McKinnon for Carlos Hyde and the 2.08. Uh, I wouldn't trade Hyde personally for that. I, I think Mike Wallace, is, you know, he's at best he's probably your wide receiver four right there. And, you know, in dynasty leagues, you know, wide receivers are more valuable because of their longevity. But good good starting running backs are kind of harder to find, especially young ones. And Carlos Hyde, he hasn't proven it yet, like you said earlier, but he does have the chance to be a bell cow there in San Francisco. So I personally would hold on to Carlos Hyde right now. Okay. Um, we have a t- uh, sorry, my email just popped up. We have a possible dilemma pitting two different players against each other. Uh, Gronk versus J.J. Watt. Ooh, we'll think about that. We'll think about that. Um, I'll probably end up pulling it. But anyway, um, offensive analogy versus IDP. I love it. Thank you, Sean. But anyway, um, back to this trade. I, I kind of agree with Nick there. I think, um, you know, you have a lot of running backs, but I don't think I think Carlos Hyde might be your best running back this year. We don't know what Mark Ingram's going to give. We know Alfred Morris might be breaking down a little bit. You have a lot of wide receivers. I don't know why you'd be pulling the trigger for Mike Wallace. Um, just hang on to your pick, and uh, you know maybe maybe draft a draft one of these high profile running backs. You have pick one point zero three. Gordon or Gurley slips there. Obviously, that's a that's a nice choice. And if it's Gordon, you can be able. to Feel free and start him right away. I like. I would certainly uh, do that. Um, that was 
the last question from the forum. Like I said, Brad should be joining us here um, very shortly. Uh, um, yeah. What? Uh, sorry, at a loss for words here. It shouldn't happen to me, but I did. Um, any any uh, thoughts? I know we haven't really had a lot of trades in our dynasty league yet, but uh, any anything anything you want to float out there? Any chance I'm getting Derek Carr from you there, Nick? Oh uh, well, you, you offered <laughs> me uh, the fourth overall. <laughs> you offered me the fourth overall pick for Carr and the fifth overall pick. I, I just can't do that yet. Uh, I'm I'm pretty high on Carr's upside moving forward, especially now that they added a target like Amari Cooper. So it's going to take more than that. It was tempting though. I really would love to get into that top four, but not for not for the price of Derek Carr yet. What about two future second round picks? <laughs> it's, you know, it's easy to use to trade those picks next year when you're so in love or so, you know, so in, not necessarily in love, so knowledgeable about this rookie draft, even though, you know, it might be shallow at some positions. You know who you like and who you want to take. Two seconds? No? Okay. Um, no, second probably. this year and second <laughs> next year. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, Burgundy talked me out of drafting him, and uh, I, you know, I made ultimately made the decision myself. It was Sam Bradford or Derek Carr. Burgundy's like, oh, I'm not a Derek Carr guy, and I'm like, gosh, you know. And I and I hate having Raiders on my team too because I've had this weird, compelling allegiance to him, and I just like, ugh, you know, it's just somehow. And it, thankfully, you know, over the last decade, uh, they haven't been very good, so I haven't been, you know, falling into that rut. You know, I did once with Darren McFadden when he was a rookie, but thankfully, that's far far past me now. But uh, uh, I don't necessarily like own players on my favorite team. I know we've talked about that before, but it's, it's a hard call. But anyway, we got Brad on the line here to give us his top ten rookies after uh, post-draft here. Let's patch Brad through. Brad, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing today, sir? So far, so good. How are you all doing? Good, good. Wonderful to talk to you. Uh, again, it's Brad Duffenbach. Uh, chances are, if you read a post, excuse me, a pre-draft running back profile in DFW, Brad was the one that wrote it. Um, like Brad, like uh, like Alan Satterley and the boys that wrote the rest of that uh, rookie guide, didn't uh, not not a lot of fluff. He had some nice, very critical, very honest things to say, especially about my guy Jeremy Langford. Uh but uh you may be talking me down a little bit on him and I think Landy's thought us to help that too. But uh uh what are what are some of your thoughts here about this uh upcoming class and then we'll have you do your top ten starting with number ten. I'm I'm very excited about this class. I've said in uh plenty of my articles that this class could rival the uh two thousand eight class as one of the best in history. Uh I mean the Fitz kind of uh, put some different perspectives, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll go through the top ten and let you know how I feel on the specific ones. Sure. Uh, before we go to your top ten, was was there any really big surprises for you during uh, draft weekend as far as where these guys are going? Well, of course, Todd Gurley was the huge shocker when the <laughs> Rams took him. I mean, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, and then, of course, the drop of Jay Ajayi. We heard everything about the injuries, but 
there was a whole lot of back and forth going on the whole pre-draft process of, uh, yes, his knee's bad, and no, it's not, he's fine. And when he dropped all the way to the fifth round, that was that was pretty surprising. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So why don't you give us your top ten, starting with number ten, and then we'll, we'll ask you some questions after that. Okay. Uh, starting in number ten, uh, just edging out Cameron Artis Payne, uh, I got David Johnson. Uh, I kind of see both of those guys as 10A, 10B. To me, they're both back up with uh, – they have the potential to start with uh, injuries to the guys ahead of them. With David Johnson in Arizona, I can't remember if it was uh, Arians or Steve Kahn on the uh, post-draft presser, but they specifically said that Andre Ellington is still going to get the same – amount of volume that he was getting before. So David Johnson obviously slate is slotted in to be the backup, but with uh, Ellington's injury history, um, David Johnson has the chance to get more volume later on down the line. Oh, uh, you want to move on to number nine? Yo, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry. Just, I was I was kind of um, not on the fence whether Arizona needed to draft a running back or not. I thought they maybe should have addressed their offensive line. Uh, that being said, I do think that's <laughs> that's a really good spot. And you look at uh, you know Ellington last year; he was beat up and lost his quarterback, and they certainly needed to address that offensive line. But yeah, go ahead. Right, and I'm I still like Ellington. I'm kind of a sucker after his uh, rookie year, which showing the explosiveness that he had, but. David Johnson is he is the best wide receiver of the running backs and in that Bruce Arian scheme he's he's a pretty good fit. Uh moving on to number nine, I got Duke Johnson. He started off a lot higher for me. I really like his talent, but I had to drop him because of the fit in Cleveland. Uh Mike Petton, you just never know. I mean, y'all saw it last year with Crowell and West. You never know who's going to start. It has nothing to do with game plan. Apparently, it's just who has, whoever has the best practice that week, he's going to be the starter. Now, Duke Johnson, uh, he he's a different talent than Crowell and West, so he should be able to uh, find a niche in the scheme. But I I still don't trust it. I I hate the fit right there. Yeah, that's a that's a tough fit. Go ahead. Number eight, I got uh, Buck Allen. Um, I really like, I was looking forward to anybody that landed in Baltimore because of uh, Mark Tressman as the offensive coordinator there. If the guy can catch, he's going to be he- heavily involved in that offense. And only, he, I already view him as better than Lorenzo Taliaferro. Um, he should be slated in right behind the 30-year-old Justin Forsett to uh, – he should get a lot of opportunities in that offense. Keep rolling there. We'll just wait till the end of mm-hmm. question. Moving on to number seven, I I put Jay Ajayi here. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot of questions right now on the knees. Is he – 
I like the fit with uh, Bill Lazor. He's he's a good runner, but he's a great receiver. I compared him to Matt Forte. I would like to see what he can do there. Um, he, uh, we just need to know. I'm sure we'll find out more closer to the season how his knees are holding up. But he's uh, he's either going to be a one or two year flash in the pan, or if his knees hold up, he can be really good in the long run. And going on to number six, I got David Cobb. I think he's got a really good opportunity to start for the Titans. I I actually liked Bishop Sankey last year, but I think Cobb is the better fit for that offense. Uh, so he, he could jump in and uh, surprise people in training camp and actually win that starting job over. Number five, I put Amir Abdullah. I do like the fit in Detroit, but uh, a lot of people are already writing off Joy Bell. He is uh, getting close. I think he's 28, 29, so he's right on the verge of that uh, that age where the running backs start to decline, but he's also got a lot left in the tank because he started late. But I think he'll split time, Joy and Abdullah, and he'll fit right into that Reggie Bush role. Now, number four, I have T.J. Yeldon going to Jacksonville. He, uh, I like the talent, always been a fan of his. He does need to lose the weight that he gained, and hopefully he can gain that explosiveness and agility that he had uh, his freshman year at Alabama. And he... I mean, he should should have a really good chance to be the starter there. I don't think there's anybody standing in his way. So there's a lot of volume there. They just need to work on that offensive line to open up some space for him. Number three, I put Tevin Coleman. I'm a sucker for any Shanahan back or any part of that Shanahan tree. You know they're going to run the ball. They'll do the zone scheme and open up some daylight for him, and that's what Coleman does best. Whenever he sees the daylight, he'll burst through and get those huge carries. Uh, Not a huge fan of his vision. Uh, He may have some trouble finding the cutback lanes, but as long as there's daylight there, he'll, he'll go for those long touchdowns. Number two, Melvin Gordon. He'll be slated as a starter in San Diego, but I do have concerns about his third down ability. I think Danny Woodhead is still going to be heavily involved and take away touches from him, Uh, but he's still the most explosive back in the class, and he'll he'll do some damage there in San Diego. Then, of course, number one, I got Todd Gurley. it doesn't seem like there's too much concern about the injury. It looks like he should be healthy enough to get in there sometime early in the season. Hopefully he's not put on the pup list, but he's still by far the best talent in this class. And, I mean, he's already drawn comparisons to Adrian Peterson and Marshawn Lynch. So I'm really excited to see what he can do even behind that uh, forward offensive line. Okay. Uh, any questions there, Nick? Right away. 
Uh, we'll start with the, your number 10, David Johnson. Uh, do you think that he could handle being an every down back? I know a lot of sites uh, think that he's more just a third down back, but uh, a lot of folks in DFW I know are really high on him. Do you think he could be that every down back if Ellington were to get hurt again? I think he could be. Uh, he's He's got the body for it. He can take the punishment. He just uh, he lacks vision and awareness. He'll He'll dance too much, but He's got agility and balance. He can work his way through the tackles. He, it's just something he needs to work on. But I mean, once you once you look at the roster of backs they have, they really don't have a three down complete back. I think he's the best one out of all of them uh, due to his versatility. Okay. Um, now I don't want to touch like I mentioned earlier with uh, uh, Jeremy Langford. What didn't have him on your list. I'm not surprised. I don't have him in my top ten either. But what what do you think about uh, the fit for him, uh, you know, post-Matt Forte there, if he's still there in Chicago? Yeah, he's uh, – I'm sure you read the article. I wasn't a huge fan of his. Uh, he, he did have the fastest 40 time out of all the backs at the Combine, but he, he doesn't really show it on tape. Um, even his, his running style, he he's not really a power back. He absorbs contact and just hopes to bounce off of people. Uh, but he does, he's a really good receiver, and he can do some damage uh, kind of in the Matt Forte mold in the short to intermediate passing game. But by the time Forte's gone, I, I would assume uh, somebody else probably steps in to take that role. Okay. Um, what did you think? It seemed to me that a lot of, obviously, Gurley included most of these running backs, the teams they were dra- drafted to, either drafted a running back last year or the year before, you know, had a younger running back on their roster. What, what did you think about that? Is that saying a statement about the, the NFL and they need to have a couple guys to get the job done? Well, I think some of these instances, like uh, specifically with the Bears uh, drafting Kadeem Carey last year, they uh, got a whole new front office. I think it's a way of these guys to put their stamp on on the team and on the draft class. Um, I mean, there's there's other situations like uh, the Texans taking Alfred Blue last year who showed some promise, and then this year they, uh, they took Hilliard. Those are both of them. Blue was a six-round pick, and I, I think they took Hilliard in the seventh round this year. Uh, I mean, they're just late-round shots trying to – fill the roster and uh, I mean Hilliard can uh, step in and do some damage at the goal line but they're I'm sorry yeah they it most of those uh, you got any other examples that you were thinking of besides the Um, like a Jaihe Lamar Miller um, you know Amir Abdullah you know Obviously, Joyce Bell's a little more up there in age. Gurley and Gordon, or excuse me, Gurley and Mason. Oh, Mason. Yeldon, you know, they already had some young running backs. It, just, it seems surprising to me that a lot, you know, 
Duke Johnson to Cleveland with two rookie running backs there last year. Right. Yeah, that one, I think that one surprised everybody as well. Nobody really saw the Browns as one of the options to go high on a running back. But, yeah, I mean, Gurley and Mason, they're kind of two different backs. I know everybody was excited about Mason, but, uh, I mean, when you got a talent like Gurley, uh, I guess the Rams just couldn't pass on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Mike Davis is another one in San Francisco. I know he wasn't in your top ten, but everybody is ready to give the keys to the Cadillac to Carlos Hyde. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys at DFW are really high on, on Mike Davis. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I wasn't really impressed with Hyde last year. He got some opportunities and he didn't really plan at all. Uh, Davis, I do have him as my number 12. I, I do like Davis. I just, uh, don't really like the 49er backfield all that much. Cause I, I really don't know what their plans are. Bring in Reggie Bush. Uh, they still have Kendall Hunter, uh, coming back from injury. It, it just seems like Balky's, uh, every single year he has to draft a running back in the top four rounds and, he doesn't seem to have a form. He just he gets them there and then figures it out later. Yeah, let's not forget uh, rugby star Jared Jared Hain is also there in camp. We'll see what we'll see what his role is reduced to, or if he makes the team at all, which might be not happening. But uh, uh, Nick, any any other questions there for Brad? So in dynasty leagues, a lot of times we're trying to think, you know, one, two, three years ahead. So in uh, that being the case, I was wondering about Matt Jones' situation in Washington. They spent a third round pick on him, and uh, next, I know this is the final year of Alfred Morris's contract. The team's also looking to extend guys like Trent Williams and Ryan Kerrigan that are going to cost a lot of money. Could you see him possibly being the starter there in Washington in 2016? I I really don't see it with Jones. Um, I mean, I. I liked him, but I was really surprised he went that high. I mean, I would have almost rather have seen uh, Malcolm Brown from Texas. I I like his skills more than Matt Jones. He's a – Jones is a tall power back. He's got some wiggle in open space, but for now he just – he seems like – seems like just short yardage and goal line is going to be his uh, his forte – uh, especially in the short term. But uh, I don't know. Everybody's just ready to write off Alfred Morris, but he's he's a really good back. I still like him. That vision is going to keep him around for a while. Uh, one last question here before we, we let you go with, uh, again, with the dynasty. How do you feel about, I mean, um, obviously running back handcuff is a huge thing. Now, like with these younger guys, you know, let's say we have Bishop Sankey, let's say we have Trey Mason, let's say we have Lamar Miller. Should we be targeting, you know, J.H.I., David Cobb? Obviously, everybody's targeting Ty Gurley, but, I mean, is, is that is that a, a kind of a philosophy? I mean, or do you not want to have both of these guys because you're trying to figure out which one to play? As far as handcuffs, my whole strategy is – I usually just take the best guy available, but if if I do have a guy like Bishop Sankey, like that will help me to move Cobb a little bit higher on my list, kind of break the ties. But that's uh, as far as uh, 
the guys further on down the line, like you never know what's going to happen in two or three years. If, if I'm holding on to, uh, say a Jeremy Langford, uh, like I said earlier, if I have Matt Forte after he's gone in two or three years, we don't know if by then, if they're going to draft another running back in the third round, second round, or even higher to replace Forte and slot him in right over Langford. So I I still heavily go towards best player available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of people tend to do that in the first round. But I'm you know I'm thinking ahead to like the second round. As I, I have you know right. on one team I have Sankey and Ellington. So I'm thinking, well, obviously you know David Johnson, Cobb, even Ajayi if he's there. You know if you have Lamar Miller in the second round, that's not I don't think that's a bad option. Because you know, right. after mm-hmm. after the second round, running backs are not going to be uh, out there certainly. So, right, you're you're taking shots in the dark anyway. So, like I said, when yeah. you're when you're breaking ties with these guys, it it's it usually helps to go ahead and back up your the current guys you have and go ahead and get that handcuff in the later rounds. Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry. One more question before we let you go. This just this just came to me here. One of a one of our questions coming up in the Q&A here on Saturday, is there, is there a running back that you think you can get, uh, or a running back that you like, like, say, past round four of a rookie draft? So we're looking really deep. My my choice for the answer to that question was Dominique Brown, an undrafted free agent for the Tampa Bay. What, what are your thoughts there on, the, on somebody post round four or higher in a rookie draft, a running back that you think we could get? So, so is this where I can talk about Zach Zinner? All right. It is, and I'm from South Dakota, so go right ahead. Zach Zinner from South Dakota State. Uh, he's – I like the talent. He's a versatile player. He uh, – the fit, a lot of people weren't happy where he ended up in Detroit. Uh, as a UDFA, he – in the beginning, there was reports that he was signing with San Diego. I would have liked that better, but – I actually don't hate him landing in Detroit. Uh, I think he uh, steps in right away, and he's going to battle George Wynn to be the direct backup of the 28, 29-year-old Joyke Bell. And we saw how he got wore down last year, and uh, uh, if any injuries happen again, he could have a huge opportunity in that offense. Uh, he was the second player in the FCS to rush over 2,000 yards in his junior year, and in his senior year, he followed it up with another 2,000 yards. Uh, he doesn't have a loose burst, but when he gets up to his top speed, he can he can outrun pursuit ang- angles and outrun uh, outrun the defense. He's He's a guy I'm going to keep an eye on because uh, even if uh, even if he doesn't beat out George Wynn, who I think they still like, uh, he they may try to sneak him to the practice squad, and he could end up somewhere in an even better situation, possibly the Cowboys if they're still looking for one. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, when they practice squad players, they're kind of open up to anybody to claim. So that's certainly an eye, a name to keep your eye out there. So thank you so much for joining us. Again, it's Brad Duffenbach, uh, 
I'm calling you our tailback whisperer. I didn't approve that with you, but I hope to, I hope that's okay because you seem to seem to know your stuff. And uh, when you when you make a comment about you know a, a comment a concerning comment about somebody that I really like, I, I certainly take I certainly take it for what it is because I, I I think you make a lot of great great points there, especially like I said earlier, my guy Langford. So. I appreciate that. I'll I'll take that and run with it. All right, cool. Thank you, Brad, and, and have a great day. You too. Thanks, y'all. All right. A whole lot from Brad Duffenbeck. Uh, uh, now we're going to give you our top ten. I don't know if they're going to be as good as that because he certainly knows what he's talking about, but we're going to give it a shot. Nick, who do you got for number ten? Well, number ten, I do have Matt Jones, actually, because you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Alfred Morris, just because of financial reasons, if the Redskins didn't opt to re-sign him. Plus, uh, Alfred Morris has a long history of having his touchdowns vultured, so uh, uh, Brad mentioned that Jones will probably be the short yards back. I could see him you know, maybe having you know, five, seven touchdowns this year just in limited use. Uh, at number nine, I have uh, Divorce Allen in Baltimore. You know, he's a pretty good pass blocker, so a lot of times rookies can't don't get on the field because they can't uh, uh, protect the quarterback. That's not going to be a problem with him. I, I agree with Brad that he's already going to beat out Lorenzo Taliaferro for the number two back behind uh, Dustin Forsett. Uh, number eight, I have uh, Jay Ajayi from uh, Boise State there in Miami. He would be a lot higher without those knee injuries. Uh, so he's probably the biggest boomer bust guy in the in the running backs this year. Uh, number seven, uh, Amir Abdullah in Detroit. He uh, pretty much kills Theo Riddick's value, I think. He's got three straight 1,000-yard uh, seasons and uh, two straight 1,600-yard seasons there in Nebraska. Uh, I think he's a pretty good player. Could, probably a similar timeshare as uh, Reggie Bush and uh, Joyce Bell had last year, but slightly improved numbers because I think they've improved their offensive line a little bit. Uh, number six, David Cobb in Tennessee. He's not super flashy, but uh, his rank's all about his situation. Bishop Sankey's all stands in his way of uh, him becoming the starter, so I'll take those odds. Um, I'm a little bit high on my number five, uh, David Johnson, higher than uh, Brad was. I, I just, you know, I think Andre Ellington, he's flashy but and really exciting when he's healthy, but he's not big enough to be an every down back. I think he would be better served being the change of pace guy and David Johnson eventually being the starter there. Uh, number four, I have Tevin Coleman in, uh, in Atlanta. This guy's a big play waiting, waiting to happen. 15 touchdowns last year. He averaged 40 yards per score and who only needs to beat out Devontae Freeman for a starting job. Uh, you know, the only reason I'm not as high on him as most other people who a lot of people have him at number three, like I think you do, Josh, uh, is, you know, he plays in an offense with a great quarterback and great receiver. So, you know, they could tend to focus a little more on the pass. Plus he could get his touchdowns vultured by Freeman, who's a thicker running back than Coleman is. Uh, number three, TJ Yeldon, a great landing spot there in Jacksonville. The young quarterback, they, could, they should help try to help by running the ball a lot. And he doesn't have very many, uh, very much talent to beat out for playing time. Toby Gerhardt, Bernard Pierce, uh, Jannard Robinson, who's a better third down back, didn't have great combine numbers, but like the DFW draft guide says, his strengths are his instincts and his vision. I think he'll be pretty productive there. Uh, number two, I have Todd Gurley. He'd be the clear-cut number one if not for that November uh, torn ACL. Could miss the first month of the season. Also has to contend with the talented Trey Mason in the backfield. So, you know, what happens if Mason gets off to a really hot start in September? Is that, are they going to limit Gurley's carries from then on out? You, you know, with the, the ACL, I just. 
can't put him at number one. Uh, number one, I have, of course, Melvin Gordon in San Diego. Do you know only Barry Sanders has more yards in a season than the 2,587 yards Gordon had last year at Wisconsin to go along with 29 touchdowns? This is the perfect landing spot. He's the instant starter over Brandon Oliver and Danny Woodhead. You know, Phillip Rivers and the passing attack are good enough to keep these from putting extra bodies in the box. I love the spot for uh, Gordon there in San Diego. Uh, yeah, uh, I wish we could agree, disagree on Gurley and Gordon, but I think we're we're on the same boat. Uh, number ten, I have Duke Johnson. Um, I think his talent is going to be clear. Maybe you know, maybe about week eight of the season, and I think of the, a lot a lot of people are going to be be throwing a lot of waiver dollars towards him in the redraft leagues. I just I think his receiving catch ability is going to that multifaceted thing to his game is certainly going to push him over the edge. I like Crowell a lot, and I think Terrence West has something to give too, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys is on, is on the trade market in, in August. So I, I think Duke Jackson is going to rise. Number nine, I have Amir Abdullah. Um, I view him a lot like Maurice Jones drew. He broke in with the Jags as a kick returner, and I think you're going to see Abdullah do that exact same thing. And, uh, uh, if you haven't watched him his game against USC, uh, go to draftbreakdown.com and watch him return a couple of kicks. He doesn't take one all the way, but he shows some massive agility, and he's a great pass catcher. Certainly, like like Brad said, he can play that Reggie Bush role, and he's going to do it well. And I think he's a smaller back, which is going to help him stay uh, stay more more healthy. Certainly, uh, number eight, I have Mike Davis. I, I don't know what's going to happen, like Brad said in San Francisco with that situation, but. I I don't even know what what game it was from, but when when South Carolina offensive guard got drafted, uh, AJ Cam when he got drafted, they showed a video of him blocking. But the same video showed Mike Davis hitting the hole and just flying up the field. And of course, I wasn't watching the offensive line, and I was watching, uh, you know, the five eleven Mike Davis just do his thing and watching the way his feet moved and his hips moved. And I'm just like, wow, that. You know, it's probably not even on the Mike Davis, or maybe there's a different angle of it from the Mike Davis highlight reel, but it was quite the angle of, on that play. And uh, I, I, I think he could do a lot of damage. I think they're going to find out that Hyde is more of a more of a short yard specialist, and I think Davis, being that littler back, is going to going to present a lot of issues in terms of uh, kind of hard to tackle type of player. Um, I got T.J. Yeldon number seven. I know that's low, but I just have some real, real question marks about how well he's going to translate. And, and that's not just an Alabama running back thing. I've talked about him to an extent on this podcast. I won't go into it anymore. The whole wounded swan issue, but I, I just don't see him be much better than that at this point. Uh, number six, I got Jay Hijahi. I agree with you, Nick. It's boom or bust there, but, uh, you know, this is Lamar Miller's fourth year, I believe, or third year, fourth year. But anyway, we know that window could be small, and I think Ajay, he certainly can going to be a great player. I, I think the, the knee issues, I think it's all smoke. I think Miami said that to a lot of people so they could draft him where they did. Uh, number five, I had David Johnson. Again, I'm higher on him than Brad as well. Um, I think in that Bruce Arians offense, again, like Brad said, he he's going to give them a couple dimensions that they don't get. And it, and it was Arians, Arians, that, or Arians that said that post-draft that Ellington was going to have the same role. 
But I think after David Johnson makes a couple of huge plays and a win, they're gonna they're gonna start thinking different about that, or maybe even watching him in practice against. You know, they're while they're the same type of back, gonna ultimately help Johnson in the long run as he as he reaches the uh, reaches that ball out for the goal line and Ellington still still dancing in the backfield. Um, number four, I have David Cobb. I know that's that's super high for him, but. Um, like Brad said, and I tend to agree, he's he's a better running back for that system. Young young quarterback, you're gonna you're gonna want a guy that you can be a workhorse. I don't think Sankey is that player. I thought he was last year. He is not. Um, so I guess you know who I'm gonna be looking at round two in our dynasty draft next. <laughs> but um, I I just really like the landing spot there. Uh, obviously Dallas would have been a great spot for Cobb, but I don't I think. I think Tennessee is certainly a close second there because he's going to certainly have the opportunity, like we everybody said last year with Sankey, he's going to have the opportunity, and I think Carr is certainly a stronger downfield runner, and he's going to make the best of it. Tet number three, I got Tevin Coleman. I know we we debated him and Yeldon last week, Nick, and I know you're you're high on that Atlanta passing game, but I don't think they've ever had a running back quite like this. I, you know. I know it's completely different offense and completely different coaching staff, but look what Warwick Dunn did when he was in Atlanta. I think he's kind of that same type of player. Nobody thought Warwick Dunn was going to make it in the NFL. And obviously Cole, uh, Coleman's got some, some big, bigger prospects and some certainly, uh, certainly a lot of guys out there like me that like him. But I think that Coleman is going to set up that passing game and he's going to do it well. They just Like you said, they haven't had a – a guy rushed for even nine, 800, 900 yards for a few years there. I think Coleman can be that guy. I think he's not going to be this one-dimensional, one-cut runner. I just, I just love him. I, I just watching him with a bad offensive line do what he did in college. He said like 40 yards per touchdown. I mean that's insane. I don't think he's going to do that in the NFL, but I just absolutely love him. Uh, number two, I got Todd Gurley. I, I, I know how most people feel about him, and I think he's going to be a great player. I just I, There's just some some minor question marks and certainly landing spot. I, I mean, if 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 him and his teams were for Gurley and Gordon were flipped, people would be freaking out about Gurley. If Gurley was a running back at San Francisco, even if he was going to miss the first month of the season, people would be stepping over women and children to get to him. And I... And I, that's kind of how I feel about Gordon. I think it's a close. I think they're on almost the exact same, same level. They're different types of players. But I think they're very, very close. And landing spot and just, you know, that division, I just I just got to I gotta give Gordon the slight edge, you know. And if I don't – I'm not – thankfully not going to have a high enough pick in the Dynasty League to have to, I believe have to make that decision between those two players. <laughs> if one of those guys is there, obviously Gurley is probably not going to be. But if Gordon's there when I make my fourth overall pick, oh man, I would be happy, 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 happy. Um, so, uh, I, you know, people have questions about Gordon's running game. Obviously, he's my number one. His his receiving game didn't really have to catch the ball very much in San Diego, or excuse me, in in Wisconsin. And I think you're going to see some different dimensions in his game. And uh, he he had a great offensive line. I think San Diego has a pretty decent NFL offensive line too. So I think he could do do some real damage there. And we know you know there's certainly some rebuilding going on in that division. And he's got some tough tough opponents, but I think he could certainly do some damage. Um, you got to think if any any rookie running back can get close to a thousand yards, 
especially if Gurley could potentially mess that first month of the season. I think it's got. You think you got to give the edge to Gordon. Um, anybody else out there, Nick, that we didn't that you didn't have in your top ten that was kind of on the fringe? Uh, well, I agree with you, Mike Davis, there in San Francisco. You know, if Carlos Hyde were to falter, I think Mike Davis would definitely uh, has the ability to shoulder the load there. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, ability, you said the key thing there. Yeah, he certainly has the ability. Um, one guy Brad didn't bring up, and we didn't bring up with him, what do you think about Josh Robinson there in, um, in Indianapolis? Obviously, Gore's got maybe two years left. Is is, is he the heir apparent? Um, it's possible, but I don't know. At five foot eight, you'd, you'd think he's a little too small to uh, be an every down guy, but I think he definitely can be a contributor there. Mm-hmm. And then um, one guy that's uh, slowly creeping up a lot of dynasty boards is uh, like Brad said, that Cameron Artemis Payne out of Auburn. Uh, obviously, being being the backup running back in Carolina certainly holds value, even though the whole running back situation hasn't been great there over the last couple of years. Um, Jonathan Stewart, you know, he's he's in that 28-29 range now, and we know his injury history has already been very, very, very bad indeed. So, uh, again, it's one of those guys where opportunity could really present something there for him. Um, how do you feel? I know we're unnecessarily talking about my Michigan State Spartans here, but how do you feel about Jeremy Langford? Uh Sorry, where did Jeremy Langford end up now again? Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. That's right. That's right. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I think he's probably the number two back there, and you know, six foot two oh eight. It's it's a little early to be saying he's going to be the heir apparent to Matt Forte. I think Matt Forte has one, maybe two years left in him, and it's it's tough to say. Uh, yeah, I know he's he played pretty good there at Michigan State, but I, I just don't know if he can be an every down type of guy. Uh, yeah, you know, I think best case, nah, not best case scenario, but I think realistically third down receiving back is going to be something that he can certainly excel at. Um, who did I have written down? My player comparisons for him. I don't have anybody written down. All right. Um, I actually compared him to Joyce Bell and Andre Ellington, actually. So I think um, – I, I think that's a pretty fair guesstimate. So um, we'll we'll see. Uh, obviously, time will tell there, and and, and see what how things go. Um, Brad does make a very good point about you know front office changes and why they would draft a running back after they did one last year and whatnot. But uh, uh, it's an it's an intriguing thing to be a backup to a guy certainly like Forte because I think that just opens a lot of people's eyes. Um, I need to do some more research on this Buck Allen guy from Baltimore. It seems like. Some people were like really questioning his abilities, but now because of landing spot, they're all they're all up in arms about him. And I've only watched just a little bit of video, so I think I need to certainly need to look at that more. Obviously, we've talked about uh, the uh, the situation there with Buck or Javorski Allen or however you want to call him. I think Buck's a lot easier to pronounce, so we'll just go with that from now on. <laughs> uh, any anybody else out there? To explain? Nick, any any long shot names that you're thinking? Uh, maybe, maybe I'll try to draft them in late. Well, I want to add to your uh, Buck Allen comments too. Yeah, anytime Baltimore drafts somebody, they've got such a good front office and such a long track record of having success with their draft picks. 
that any time Baltimore drafts somebody, you want to take a second look at him and and uh, give maybe bump him a little bit up in in, in the ranks. Um, as far as other guys, a uh, guy like uh, uh, let's see, we got uh, I agree also with a. Uh, with Brad on Zach Zenner out of South Dakota State. I think he, if not in Detroit, should get a chance somewhere to, to make a roster. Um, and the Saints added a running back. It uh, looks like Marcus Murphy out of Missouri. He's only five foot eight, 193, so a little bit small, but could end up being maybe a, a pass catching back there for Drew Brees, possibly down the road. Mm, yeah, that's a great name. I forgot about Marcus Murphy. I, I, I had to look into him when they made that pick. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen film on this guy. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I mentioned Dominique Brown, and, uh, and you can read more about how I feel about Dominique Brown in our question and answer this week on this, uh, this weekend here Saturday. So, uh, yeah, let's move on. Uh, kind of a new segment we're going to play around here with for the next couple months. Um, what would you, Nick, what would you trade for Andrew Luck? Well, you know, I don't have kids, so I'm unable to trade my firstborn child for Andrew Luck. But uh, <laughs> right now he's going around uh, he's going around the eighth overall pick in startup leagues. Two months ago I would have said that's too high. But uh, after reading Alan Satterley's article uh, entitled, You Need a 40-Touchdown Guy Now More Than Ever on DSW a few weeks ago, I'd say, you know, the eighth overall might be a little bit low. Alan pointed out that uh, nine quarterbacks last year had 30 or more touchdowns. So to have an advantage at the position, you need to have a quarterback like Andrew Luck, the only guy who had 40 touchdowns last year. Alan goes as far as to say he'd consider Andrew Luck at the number one overall. I wouldn't go that far. But you look at guys that are uh, ADP uh, five through seven, Odell Beckham, Gronkowski, and A.J. Green, I would definitely take Andrew Luck over those guys. So, you know, I guess I would trade anybody other than Le'Veon Bell, Des Bryant, Julio Jones, and Antonio Brown. But, you know, thanks to Alan's article, I do understand why someone would have Andrew Luck, the number one player on their board. Oh, man, Alan is great. We need to get him on. But anyway, um, yeah, I it's a hard call. And I, I am one of those people that have taken Andrew Luck first overall in, in some of these mocks that we've been doing. I just think when you're doing a dynasty mock draft, I mean, that's the quarterback you want, right? I mean, who, who – I mean, I'm not going to take a quarterback – you know, unless Aaron Rodgers is sitting down there in, in the late second or, you know, which, I, which I've been able to get him even when I've taken like a Le'Veon Bell or Odell Beckham first or Des Bryant, you know, high. Rodgers just sitting there at the end of the second. I just, I think Luck is definitely the man. He's the quarterback that everybody wants right now. Um, I don't know what I would trade for him. You know, I I I have him in DFW 36. Is the team that I inherited, and I I did say to somebody I wouldn't trade him for three first round picks. Maybe maybe that would be a little uh, over overwhelming if somebody actually offered that to me. But I think we can only offer two unless you have unless you have another one from somebody else. Um, I even if you traded two first round picks, like let's say you traded a first round pick for him this year and a first round pick next year, you know you get let's say you're getting you know, one of the top four. Let's say you're getting Amari Cooper or Gordon or or whatever. Even if you're getting Gurley, you still need to replace your quarterback. Is, is you know, is Christian Hackenberg next year the guy you're going to place taking the first to take to replace him? I just don't think quarterbacks like that come around. I just I really feel like he's very hard 
to move, you know, and there's even there's some leagues like, you know, that where you use two quarterbacks or some leagues where touchdowns, you get you get six points per touchdown or four points per touchdown. Um, I play I play in both of those style leagues and I, I think his value is still really the same. I just it's so hard to pull a trigger on a guy like this that you know that unless he breaks both of his legs, he's gonna be the starting quarterback for this team for the next ten years. And he is good. He's very, very good. You know, he's not Joe Flacco where people debate constantly about his value. I think a lot of people, there's, you know, if he if he isn't the, if people like Aaron Rodgers better than him, that's fine. But Dynasty League where you want the youth and you want a guy that's going to be the leader of your franchise for the next, like I said, 10 years, Andrew Luck is really the only guy out there that presents that possibility. Russell Wilson, there's been a lot of question marks about him and his contract, and they're very far away. I mean, Andrew Luck is the clear-cut number one quarterback right now in Dynasty formats, and I just don't know. I know I'm copping out here, but I don't know if I could trade him for anything as an owner of him. You know, maybe maybe three first-round picks, but even still, I just I, – and maybe I feel like I'm totally irrational, but if, if you disagree with me and you're an Andrew Luck owner, send us a, send us a note or send – email their website and tell us what you think because I it's it seems I don't know I maybe I just value him way too high I, I don't know am I making any sense Nick oh I agree with you I mean there's nothing to not like about Andrew Luck you look at the player and the talent himself he's a once in a generation talent coming out everybody said that coming out when he was in the draft and that's proven to be true 40 touchdowns last year proves that. Uh, you look at his situation. Uh, is there a team with a better receiving core right now as far as depth and talent than Indianapolis? I, I can't think of one with all the guys they got. Yeah, there's there's absolutely nothing to not like about Andrew Luck right now. Okay. Well, our uh, May rankings are up right now. So, Nick, did you have a did you have a chance to look at the they came up a little little excuse me a little late because of the draft. Uh, but what 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 are some of your thoughts there as the as our rankings roll out here for me? Any any surprises there for you? Uh, yeah, I got a few. Uh, first off, Antonio Brown is the wide receiver four behind uh, guys like Julio Jones and A.J. Green. Both of those guys have struggled with injuries in the last couple of years. I would say Brown should be a top two receiver. I uh, also think Sammy Watkins is a little too high at number 12. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, might be a little low at uh, wide receiver 13. Uh, quarterback Matt Castle was ranked number 45 behind EJ Manuel, number 41. I think those two maybe should flip flop. I think Castle will end up starting there. Uh, and I think on quarterbacks number 24 and 25, uh, Joe Flacco and Blake Bortles also might be a little bit too low. Uh, move on to running backs uh, Lamar Miller, number 16, Alfred Morris, at number 20. I think those guys might be a little bit low, especially considering uh, Giovanni Bernard, who is a backup there in Cincinnati. He's ranked number 18. I don't know how he's above Alfred Morris right now. And Darren McFadden still down there at 46. That's way too low considering Dallas didn't draft a running back. Uh, Doug Martin is number 24. Charles Sims, uh, 36. I would swap those two Tampa Bay running backs. I, I'm just I'm done with Doug Martin personally. And uh, Bishop Sankey at, all the way down at running back 38 could be a decent value if you can uh, pry him away from an owner who just gave up on him and buy him for pennies on the dollar. You could get a steal there, possibly. Uh, then you look at the rookies. Uh, Nelson Aguilar's uh, ranked the number nine rookie. To me, he's number five, so I think that's a little low. 
Uh, in Detroit, could be a running back by committee situation. So I, I think uh, Abdullah might be a little bit high at uh, the rookie number 14. Uh, Justin Hardy, who's going to be the wide receiver three in Atlanta, he's all the way down at number 30 for rookies. Only two spots ahead of Tennessee's seventh-round pick, Trey McBride. Uh, so I think Hardy's way too low. Uh, what, what were you take so on the ranks, Josh? Uh, you know, I'm just I'm going to go. I'm really looking hard and hard and fast at these rookie ones here. Um, the you know one two three in the receivers, no surprise with Cooper, White and Parker. I don't agree. With, I just just because of the situation. And, and as much as I love Mariota, I feel like CGB is a little high. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I think Aguilar, Perryman, and Parker could all be tied at number three. I'm glad to see that DFW is is on the Tyler Lockett train, just 5'10", 182 pounds, but the 4'4", 40. Um, I I feel like I have him a little high, and most most people have him downgraded, but uh, I I just I, I really like him. Excuse me, I say hard at Tyler Lockett. Um, I know Seattle has not been very friendly to wide receivers in the past, but they're gonna have so many things you can do with this guy. Um, you know, as much as I like Devin Smith and I had a number 10, I think I downgraded him just a little bit just because of quarterback and whatnot. And I totally agree. Hardy's number 14 as the wide receivers. I think he should be really pushing for that top 10 spot. Um, I'm really interested to see the health of DeAndre Smelter when, when the season starts because if you watch film on this guy, this guy does everything very well. And I know he's coming from a rushing offense where he's been asked to block a lot. But uh, if he it carves out any type of, you know, consistent role, he has some great athletic abilities. I think as far as, you know, athletic ability, we talked about Chris Conley, who's also in another tough situation in Kansas City. I do think he will rise above that. But I think that DeAndre Smelter has a lot of the measurables that he wasn't able to show. But I think he will we'll, we'll see a lot of those kind of tendencies, a guy that can just jump out of the gym. I know they play on a football field, but jump out of the gym and, and make some really good things happen for your team. So I, I, I want to, and, I am, and I'm encouraged by Vincent Maley being number 16 as well. Um, so, yeah, moving on to the running backs, obviously Gurley's number one. Uh, Gordon, Gordon, number two. Um, you got yelled at number four as well. DFW has got, has got even though Brad's got Johnson rated number 10. Uh, he still gets up there at number five overall because Dan's got him number three because he's crazy about him. Um, and, and Allen's number nine. I think David Cobb should be higher. Like I said, I have him number four. Uh, Brad's actually got him number six. Bill's got him number seven. So uh, I, I, I just I think David Cobb is probably in the best position besides besides Melvin Gordon of, of kind of the question marks involved in some of, some of the question marks involved in landing spot with these running backs. I think David Cobb is in a very, very good position. Uh, next week, like I said, we'll, you'll be discussing uh, quarterbacks and tight ends, and Sal Conti is going to stop by to talk about some offensive line and who who's going to help your quarterbacks out the most there in terms of uh, the guys that were drafted this year. So, um uh, make sure you check that out. Uh, we'll be back to our normal time next week. And uh, yeah, that's all we have for you today. Hope you enjoyed it. A uh, whole lot on the running backs. And if you got, like I said, ever got any questions or want to di- uh, suggest a dynasty dilemma, we are certainly open to that. Uh, Nick, any closing thoughts? 
Um, just that I love the idea that was posed uh, about the Dynasty Dilemma of J.J. Watt versus Gronkowski. I think that would be an awesome segment. Okay. Well, it's your, choose, your turn to choose first. Um, we'll see. Let me think about it. I think we kind of want to stay in the rookie realm for the next month, but I suppose we could maybe do two next week. Uh, but anyway, that's all we have for today. Thank you for joining us. Again, this has been the Dynasty Pulse. Thank you, Dan, for joining us. And an awesome an awesome job by Brad Duffenback, the tailback whisperer, as I'm calling him. Um, it's been a whole lot of fun to talk to both of those guys today, and always fun to talk with you, Nick. And uh, pretty soon we'll be saying aloha <laughs> as Nick moves to Hawaii here in the next couple of weeks. But anyway, thank you for joining us. This has been a Dynasty Pulse podcast. Check out some amazing articles as we continue to roll out our rookie Doesn't impact boy, series. Keep challenging me. So I'm going to make sure I can drop them. Drop them. Roll them up and cock them. Cock them. Oh, I'm not the one that went. I will pull it back. Oh. I will let it go. Oh. I will lay you down. Boy, keep challenging me. But there's no competition. So I'm going to make sure I can drop them. Drop them. Roll them up and cock them.